Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrel pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, it was a big week in adding patron saints of the podcast to the list. And of course, I'm talking about Max Muncy, who is our new favorite player and the most important person to me personally this week. However, there's one other person that I need to add to the list of patron saints of the podcast. Are you ready for that person? Who is that person? That person is Ty Kelly, at Ty Kelly 11 on Twitter, who just tweeted, Pimping home runs doesn't matter. The planet is dying. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Uh, Truer words have never been spoken. I wanted to share that with you because not only does it align with what we talk about a lot on this podcast, but it aligns with what we're about to talk about in a couple minutes with Max Muncy and our favorite, Madison Bumgarner, who cannot go one week without being talked about on this show. Who, Madison Bumgarner? Yeah, Madison Bumgarner. He finds a way to weasel his way into every single episode of Tipping Pitches. Somehow, you'd think we wouldn't talk about him as much. I mean, we talk about him more than, like, Mike Trout or, or Bryce Harper at this point. Literally, yes. We talk about him more than anyone else. <laughs> I guess for a while, Tim Anderson had that title belt, but Madison Baumgartner and Tim Anderson have it for different reasons at this point. Yeah. All right, like I said, we're going to talk about Max Muncie, who is our new king. Uh, but before we do that, I'm Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Baisley. And this is Tipping Pitches. Let's get into it. Alex, what happened with Madison Bumgarner and Max Muncy this week? Max Muncy, incredible dinger hitter, but uh, more importantly, former Oakland Athletic. That's uh, what he was always be to me. a lot of those going me. around. There are a lot of those going around. He's the one that got away <laughs> in my heart. Um, he hit a massive, incredible dinger off of Madison Bumgarner this past week into the bay beyond the, the right field wall of what is now uh, Oracle Park. I guess they changed the name every really year. Really wouldn't guess that. I can't. Uh, yep, me neither. Um, but anyway, he hit, he crushed a wonderful dinger into the water and uh, and took a little peek at it. And Madison Bumgarner barked at him, and Max Muncy barked right back, and then walked and ran around the bases and did his thing. And it uh, pretty much uh, it ended there until Max Muncy came out after the game and uh, and said Bumgarner said, "Don't watch the ball, run." And I just told him, if he doesn't want me to watch the ball, go get it out of the ocean. <laughs> wow. Uh, Max Muncy, it's a bay. It's, it's not the ocean, actually. Oh, uh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, God, I love... Give me more of this, please. Can Max Muncy come up with comebacks for, like, every single pitcher who whines about, like a player watching a home run or flipping the bat or something like that. Go get it off the subway tracks. (laughs) Well, I think my favorite part is that like Dodgers showed up the next game or a couple games later or whatever, and they were all wearing t-shirts with go get it out of the ocean printed on it. Yep. (laughs) Just like a continual roast of Madison Bumgarner. I, while looking at this photo of Max Muncie wearing the go get it out of the ocean shirt, it occurs to me that he just looks like a Lord of the Rings character just plopped into MLB. Yes. Oh, extremely out of place. I do love him. He he is really fun and he kind of came out of nowhere and he was one of those guys where you're like he's 
sort of one of these random Dodgers players who comes in and you expect to have one good season and then to go back to being average. And it turns out he wasn't just a one hit wonder. Uh, yeah. And this is the, this is the kind of confidence that, that, uh, that gives you, right? You can spit something right back to Madison Bumgarner when he, when he tells you to not watch it. You can tell Madison Bumgarner to shove it because Madison Bumgarner is bad now and you're good. That's how the, that's how the world works. So we talked a couple of weeks ago about Yasiel Puig doing a similar thing, pimping a home run off Madison Bumgarner and Bumgarner trying to come back and say it only took him five years to learn how to hit off of me. It seems sort of like Madison Bumgarner has lost his mojo across MLB. People are not afraid of him anymore. This isn't the 2014 <laughs> playoffs. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we're all better for that. All right, from one bulldog pitcher to the next, we also wanted to talk about, we're going to head down to San Diego, different part of California, and talk about San Diego Padres rookie ace Chris Paddock. Alex, Chris Paddock was sent down. He is the best pitcher on the Padres, not only on the Padres, but potentially he has been the best pitcher in the NL this year, not named Max Scherzer. And the Padres decided that they were going to send him down this past week, I guess to be in line with his innings limit for the season. My question to that would be, is he just going down to the minors and taking three weeks off? So he's just taking a AAA spot and not pitching at all? Or is he is is there something more sinister underneath this? Is that a are those questions you're posing to me? Those are questions I'm posing to you. <laughs> I'm being the host. You're being the analyst. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> um, yeah. So they sent him down, which is obviously surprising because uh, he's in the running. You could say for NL Rookie of the Year, along with one Pete Alonzo. I know where your allegiances stand on this one, but Paddock's obviously in the top two. Um, and yeah, and Andy Green said that it was to get him some rest. Uh, yeah, you talked about kind of the the innings limit. Um, and you could give the Padres the benefit of the doubt and say that maybe he should be on an innings limit, that it's it's no different from any other young pitcher, especially just in his second season back from Tommy John. But you also uh, you take a quick look at the CBA, and you remember that uh, the Padres only need to keep him down for give or take 20 days um, for them to gain another year of uh, control over Paddock. So I think that there's multiple things that play here, but like you said, there's absolutely something more sinister going on. Um, they said that he, uh, he needed to work on his changeup. He's going to like their high A team or whatever. Um, they said he needed to work on his changeup, which you, uh, you could argue is his, uh, his best pitch. I'd argue <laughs> his best pitch right now. <laughs> so I, I understand what they're saying, but also, if they keep him down for 20 days or they demote him for like another week and a half later in the offseason, this feels just like a grievance. It's like, it's very clear what you're doing. Yeah, the two things that stuck out to me the most about this were, number one, Mets fans using this as an opportunity to dunk on a player who basically has nothing to do with them anymore after that little back and forth between him and Alonzo like a month or two ago. Um, the other thing is the meta aspect of of baseball Twitter, the type of baseball Twitter that we've sort of folded ourselves in with. And it's crazy how immediately now when a, when some seemingly benign transaction happens, how quickly people are on top of this. And I think it just goes to show how far we've gone with the strained labor relations between players and front offices and owners right now. Because I can't, I, I'm in a world 
10 to 20 years ago, I mean, I know we were children then, so we weren't really thinking about baseball on this level, but in a world 10 to 20 years ago and Chris Paddock gets optioned down, I'm not sure people are immediately going out and being like, this is really just to manipulate his service time. The fact that that's the first thing that comes to people's minds is personally, I think kind of encouraging from a, from a public awareness perspective, but discouraging from a teams are still trying to get away with this perspective. Because if you're, if you were to follow the Padres line of logic that this is because of an innings limit or whatnot, I don't know exactly how that would work because I don't know. And I don't, suspect that the Padres even really know what giving him a rest in the middle of season, a middle of the season would do versus just cutting him off at the end of the season. Cause to me, it would seem like anecdotally and logically thinking that you would want him to go every five days to get back into the routine of going every five days and that interrupting it for two weeks or 20 days or three weeks or whatever it might be while he's in high a or one week stint and then a one-week stint later in the season, it would seem like that would be a more unnatural version of keeping him under his innings limit, which medically is not better for him than just doing the Steven Strasburg and shutting him down after 175 or whatever that number is that they've chosen for Paddock. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you on that. And I think you're right kind of about the, um, I guess, like the Overton window shifting a little bit in terms of like how we view moves like this. It's like, the fact that the first thing that every everyone's mind jumps to is service time manipulation is like, okay, at least it's like something that we're aware of. Now, half of us or half of fans out there, probably more, honestly, are okay with that. Yeah. They're like, yes, manipulate his service time. And that speaks, I think, more to the fact that the the rules are just dumb and need to be changed. Like, why... Like, why is it that if he spends two weeks in the minors, then all of a sudden the Padres get another year of control over him? Yes. That doesn't make any sense. It makes absolutely no sense. Um, at the very least, we're having the conversations about it. It doesn't change anything about what the Padres are doing. But you're right that it just, I mean, he's struggled over his last few starts, but it feels like it's just kind of coming out of nowhere. Uh, so it's definitely something to look at with a, with a critical eye. The weird thing, though, is that the Padres have not been manipulating service time this year. They brought Fernando Tatis Jr. up to start the season, and that was supposedly in an effort to put the best team out on the field, which is what the front office was preaching, right? Yeah. And so, and also, but if you wanted to manipulate one player's service, I mean, let me put my front office hat on for a second. If you wanted to manipulate one player's service time on this team, it would be Tatis because he's a position player, and his health will in his health will be better as he ages. So having that extra year is more valuable to the Padres than having one extra year of Paddock because pitchers are usually the guys that come up earlier because the teams are worried about them blowing their arm out younger in their career. So they want that they want to capitalize on that front end window, right? So if there was one guy between Paddock and Tatis that thinking as a sinister front office member, I would want to manipulate their service service time, it would be Tatis Jr., not Paddock. True. Although maybe Tatis Jr. gets set down in like two weeks or something like that. The season's See, not if over. if that happens now, <laughs> we got a real story on our hands if they do that. Yeah, it was, it was really, it's not, not disappointing, I guess. It's something you, we should almost take for granted at this point. But like, you know, the it's disappointing to see, given what you were saying about them 
bring in up these guys to start the year, right? But essentially, they're two highest paid players lobbying the front office and saying, we want these guys on our team now, right? We want to put that product on the field. These guys are ready. We want to be playing with them. Um, so it's a, it's certainly a bit of a head scratcher. Yeah. If they send Tatis Jr. down, that would be pretty egregious. He would have to be performing pretty badly, and he's been playing pretty well since he came back. They are in fourth right now, so... They don't have a ton of reason to contend right now. They're under 500 and it doesn't seem like they're going to be able to make a wild card, but I guess anything can change at any time. And these this experience is valuable for Tatis, who's like a toolsy shortstop who needs these at-bats, right? Young young players need these at-bats. I guess we'll continue to monitor it, but it's just a, it's a weird story. It came totally out of nowhere. It was one of those things where like, unless you're following the Padres beat really, really closely, it just kind of hit you over the head on like a Tuesday. Yeah. Well, anyway, I hope that Chris Paddock is back soon. I mean, he's only going to miss one start, but we need more of his uh, his cowboy hat, his wonderful cowboy fits uh, in his pregame starts. That's, I think, my favorite part about him, besides the fact that he's, you know, quite good at throwing a baseball. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I'm bringing back a bad take, dramatic reading. All right, Alex, Andy Martino is on a hitting streak on tipping pitches. It's two straight weeks for him. Last week, you'll remember, we talked about a video of him going on SNY and talking talking about how other Yankees teammates roll their eyes about Clint Frazier for a long list of reasons, of which those reasons he didn't really name. But whatever, this is a different week and a different story. And this story, someone finally did it. Someone finally wrote the Chase Utley redemption piece from the Mets perspective, Alex. It, honestly, I've I've been waiting for this. I can't tell you how long I've been waiting for this. And I know that you have been waiting for the Chase Utley redemption narrative. This is my Super Bowl. Okay, ready? He starts off, During the Shea Anything podcast taping on Wednesday, colleague Doug Williams reminded me of the most offensive thing that Chase Utley has ever done in public. And no, it wasn't breaking Ruben Tejada's leg. Doug noted that during a WFAN appearance earlier in the year, the former, Philly great, the former Phillies great said, See ya, sweetheart, to call her Callie from Connecticut. This was a truly icky moment, out of step with both contemporary standards and basic decency. Mets fans do not disparage Utley for the casual misogyny in his vocab, though. They hate him because of one late slide in the playoffs and a history of aggressive play that they would have loved had Utley been on their side. So I'm reading this because I see people being very mad about it on Twitter. And I'm reading this and I'm like, it's a very weird thing to do to write the defense of a person over something that they did on the field, bring up something that they did off the field, and then never mention it ever again. So from this point on in the story, he doesn't mention this, the the quote-unquote casual misogyny in Utley's vocab ever again. It's a weird thing to invoke here in the lead, but thus Andy Martino did it anyway. I am shocked that a male sports writer uh, just casually referenced misogyny from a baseball player and then just moved right on from it. Wow. <laughs> he really just moved incredibly shocked. Right on. <laughs> He's like, all right, I'm here to defend Chase Utley. Here's something that he did that's actually worse than the thing I'm going to defend him for, and I'm not going to defend him for the worst thing. <laughs> all right, we continue. Power through. 
It's well past time to give up on this Utley hate and appreciate one of the great careers of our time. And while we're at it, let's consider scrubbing the concept of hate from our sports discourse altogether. Whoa! Let's reach across the aisle. <laughs> so then he goes on. Then he goes on in this whole long thing about how the the hatred obviously started when Utley broke Ruben Tejada's leg in the 2015 NLDS, but it, it goes back much further than that to when he was on the Phillies and. He played extremely well against the Mets, so Mets fans had bad blood for him to begin with, and the the incident with Tejada while he was on the Dodgers was kind of like the final, the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. So, Martino cites uh, an appearance from Utley on Sportsnet LA, where he said, or somebody asked him, do you really hate the New York Mets? And he paused for a really long time and said, I do, I do. And that's fine, whatever. You want to troll Mets fans? It's okay, I understand it. But then... Martino goes on to say that Mets fans shouldn't hate Utley because he was good. Here's the defense. He says, To be sure, Utley had detractors. The highly respected Carlos Beltran once called him out for a late slide to break up a double play and said Utley was a dirty player. I've always heard from teammates that David Wright resented Utley's style of play, though Wright was too nice to ever say it. Tejada had no interest in hearing from Utley or accepting the bottle of tequila that he offered. That's understandable. But we can say with confidence that Mets players and fans would have appreciated all of Utley's hard-nosed qualities had he been on their side. He did nothing egregious enough to alienate teammates. Okay, here's the meat of it. Here's what I want to talk about with you, Alex. All right. Andy Martino wrote a column in defense of Chase Utley, named all of the bad things that Chase Utley did, and didn't say why none of the didn't say why those bad things weren't actually bad. He just said, "Well, his teammates liked him." Shrug. Yeah, <laughs> he's saying that Mets fans should accept Chase Utley for what he was to his teammates, yet all of the Mets players fucking hated his guts, and so Mets fans are supposed to just be like, I don't believe David Wright, who is the talisman of my team for the last two decades. Instead, I'm going to believe... Hold on. Instead, I'm going to believe J.A. Happ, a podcast favorite of ours, who said Chase Utley is the best teammate he ever had at picking up signs. That's supposed to sway me? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Andy Martino is coming into this column with the expectation that sports fans are rational. Sports fans cling to disliking players just because, like, that's part of fandom, right? Is like you have enemies and you hate them forever, no matter what. Like, they do one thing to your team and you never forget it. And the thing is, like, he's probably not wrong that if Chase Utley was on the Mets, God forbid. (laughs) Um, But if Chase Utley was on the Mets, Mets fans probably would have appreciated his hard-nosed style. But, like, the fact of the matter is that, like, he wasn't, right? And he broke one of your players' legs. And, you know, all the, like, you know, I've heard from so-and-so that David Wright uh, didn't like him or whatever. It's like, so much of it somewhat feels like hearsay to me. But, like, obviously that's going to be enough for a Mets fan to be like, yeah, fuck this guy, right? Like... (laughs) And you, and you're right that like his. If I heard that David Wright kind of didn't like my uncle, I would stop liking my uncle. <laughs> and it's like his whole argument is basically just like Chase Utley was good, so you have to like him now. And Pete Rose, sure. stand up guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. It's like. Just because he was a good player doesn't mean I expect fans to root for him. I don't hold particular 
ill will against Chase Utley, but I feel like by us living together for years and you being a Mets fan, I just kind of like adopted a dis- dislike for him. And I'm now I'm just kind of like, yeah, fuck that guy. Right. Because yeah. like sports fans, we're, we're rational. Like that's what happens. This is like that time that I convinced you to hate Ryan Braun. True. Although that didn't take very much convincing. No, I mean, he's slimy. So is Chase Utley. Okay. Here's the last two paragraphs. And then, uh, then we'll move on from, from our man, Andy. It's fine to say that Utley's slide into Tejada was over the line. Plenty of serious baseball folks had that opinion. But he wasn't trying to hurt his opponent, and probably wouldn't have if Daniel Murphy had fed the ball better to Tejada. <laughs> serious victim blaming right there. Also, <laughs> he's just assuming that Utley wasn't trying to hurt him, which is a big, big, big assumption that's carrying a lot of weight. Anyway, it's not enough to inspire hate. Not that anything that happens in sports should lead to that particular emotion, But when it comes to Utley, the most rewarding feeling would probably be appreciation or perhaps even gratitude that we got to watch a career as remarkable as his. I, for one, am just thankful for the friends we made along the way. One of them being Chase Utley. (laughs) Thank you, Andy Martino. Why is he writing this now in in 2019? (laughs) Like, what are we doing here? Why is this the Chase Utley redemption tour? Is it because he came out and said he hates the Mets? And so Andy Martino was like, you know what? I'm going to go to bat for this guy right here. Yeah, I guess. I, I think it was just because it came up naturally on a conversation on his podcast, which I don't listen to and uh, will not neither. be listening to anytime soon. No, but Andy Martino, you want to come on tipping pitches and defend your Chase Utley takes by all means. I completely concur. That would be great. <laughs> great radio. Great radio. Alex, what, what A's enemy do you hate the most? I'm going to write a defense of them. On tippingpitches.atavis.com. I don't. I don't have A's enemies, man. I just. I just want us all to get along. I. My. All right, Andy Martino. <laughs> <laughs> Your A's enemies like are all like calls coming from within the house. Yeah, pretty much. My <laughs> my A's enemies are anyone within the team that doesn't let us go out and sign Dallas Keuchel. That's that's the enemy to me. That's very uh, woke of you. Just trying to get rid of all the hate in the world, like our man Andy Martino. Andy Martino, welcome to the resistance. Yeah, why can't we all just hold hands and embrace the launch angle revolution? Like, that's what I'm here for. Except we're not going to embrace the launch angle revolution. Uh, Especially not in this next segment, which we're going to dive deep with our man Alex Rodriguez. Uh, So we're going to take another break. And when we come back, a close annotation of the Alex Rodriguez YouTube channel. If not for you... back you shared with me the alex rodriguez youtube page which i guess implicitly i knew existed because he is content now and everybody who is on tv probably also has a youtube channel and even people who are not on tv have a youtube channel but youtube was essentially invented for alex rodriguez like he was really just a vlogger who ended up being really good at baseball (laughs) and so you sent this to me a few weeks ago and he said i think it would be fun to do this on the podcast where we we watch and listen to one of his videos and kind of just follow along and see what it's what the experience is like of being an Alex Rodriguez YouTube stan. How did you come across this? Um, I think I came across it on Baseball Prospectus. I think maybe one of their podcasts um, referenced it. But um, it's 
it's extremely strange, man. Because it's exactly like, what you think it is. It's exactly what you think it is. I mean, we've all witnessed the arc of Arod over the last couple decades, right? From being um, absolutely reviled to having his like redemption story to just kind of being there. And, and that's where he is right now. He's just like vlogging. And on the one hand, you're like, Oh my God, this is a rod talking into a camera for 10 minutes at a time or whatever. Wow. This is going to be fascinating. On the other hand, you're like, this is just like a rich guy talking about how interesting he thinks it is that he was late to the Met Gala. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, dude, your big choice was between black and pink. Tell me more, a rod. When I was watching today to try to find the right video to annotate on the podcast, I was watching his most recent video, which is him showing up an hour late to a J-Lo rehearsal oh God, yeah. <laughs> and trying to ask the dancers to come back on stage and practice more when they've literally, literally been practicing all day. And I'm like, hey, Rod, they're like all J-Lo keeps being like, no, no, no. Like, really? Like, we're tired. Like, we don't want to practice more. And a Rod's like, come on. Like, he literally I just got five here. Minutes I swear. doing I swear. that like a little kid. <laughs> And I'm like, these people, like, like J-Lo's production company or whatever is going to have to pay these people, like, double time because A-Rod wants to watch them practice one more time. Yeah. Yeah. And then he's like, all right, let's bring everyone together. I want to make a speech. And I'm like, what? <laughs> why, why do you want to make a speech? What he you, brings everyone you together and makes a speech. I, I imagine A-Rod bringing everyone together everywhere and making a speech. Yeah. Like in uh, in every instance, wherever he is, he's like mm-hmm. at line in the line at the bodega. And he like brings everyone together for a speech. And he's like, I went ham, egg, and cheese today. Last week I went bacon, egg, and cheese. It's all about duality. It's all about staying fresh, staying on your toes. Like I was on my toes in 2008 when we won the World Series. <laughs> <laughs> Look, JLo, you got to be laser focused, laser focused on that, uh, on that BLT that you're going to get. All right. That's got to be your passion. You got to show, you got to show the, the chef that you really want it. All right. He's got to know that you want it. We all make mistakes in this world. Some of us forget to put up curtains in our bathroom when there's floor to ceiling windows. That's okay. Everybody saw me go in number two. I bounced back from that. We're already going in on A-Rod, but you got to really, you got to listen to this video to really get the, the full A-Rod experience. So you want right. to, you want to play, play it for the listeners? Here we go. It's called in all caps, find your passion in life and Alex Rodriguez original. So I'm going to talk to the general folks out there because I think um, the masses is where it's at. I already have something to say. <laughs> God. <laughs> he starts off by saying, I'm going to talk to the general folks out there because I think the masses is where it's at. That's, oh, God. I mean, I'm I will say that I couldn't. that I send with that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't have put it better myself. The masses are where it's at. This one's for the general folks, which is why we can listen to it and put it on tipping pitches. This is not for the specific folks, I guess, would be the opposite of that. I don't know. Let's continue. (laughs) You know, I hear so often from people, people that I love, people that are close to me. Well, I can't do it. I don't have money. So I'm going to (laughs) quit. I'm going to go have a beer. Wrong. So if you don't have any (laughs) capital, um, the good news is there's many ways for you to bring value to a partnership. What is it that you're good at? What is your superpower? Are you good in sales? Are you good in numbers? Are you a good writer? Good communicator? Which one are you? <laughs> I think you that, have to find out what you're good at, Alex. What is your superpower? 
Are you good in well, sales is, numbers, that, writer, or communicator? <laughs> those are the only four options. <laughs> and a writer and a communicator, they're really different things. No one, not many people talk about this, but they're completely separate. That I'm I'm actually I know you're making fun of him, but I'm serious about that. I'm not a writer anymore. I'm a communicator. I host a podcast. <laughs> think about what think about what your superpower is. By the end of this video, I want you to have your superpower. Listeners, you really we're going to put the link in the description for this because you really have to go watch the video because that's half of it. This whole thing is overlaid with video. He's talking. He's in the car the whole thing time this is happening. He's just talking to a camera in the car, and it's spliced into it is like footage of him crossing the street, him walking around a baseball field, just shots of a red light on Madison Avenue, and then it's just words. Don't let the the red light stop you on Madison Avenue. (laughs) All the every time he says something that's supposed to be motivational, the words pop up. Communicator, writer, numbers, sales, find your passion in life. Like, oh my God. I think that's the problem with tipping pitches. That's why it hasn't taken off yet. We don't have numbers or sales. Yeah, we don't have numbers or sales. How do we fix that? All right, we'll think about that one. Let's continue. Whatever it is, you can bring value and you can take that value and convert it into equity. You have to be relentless. You have to be resilient. You have to have grit. Always ask to get in the room, beg to be in the room. Let people know how you feel. Okay, when I was watching this the first time, I thought, I want to do a thing where I make a ding and we have a little counter for every time that A-Rod says just a general colloquial idiom that has Mm -hmm. no meaning in the context of this video where he's talking about finding your passion in life. Right here, he says a few. And one of them is, you have to get in the room. I want to know what room. What room are we talking? Who is this targeted for and what room do I need to get in? Especially contradictory is the fact that while he's talking about this, he's not he's not in a room. In fact, he's walking in his yard that uh that appears to have tires in it, just as like artistic piece. You see this? You see this right here? <laughs> do you see that? Uh Arod, what level are you on? Okay, let's move on. It's not begging, you're just asking, and you're knocking, and you're not going to go away. You're like that everlasting punching bag. You punch him, and it just keeps coming back up. <laughs> That's who you should be. That's who I've been my whole life. You know, I love when people call me dumb because I'm an athlete. And I say, you know what? I'm going to show you. Because if you're going to be dumb enough to uh, overlook me or think that I'm not as smart as you because you have a fancy degree and, and I'm a baseball player, well... Rule number one, never underestimate your opponent. You know, I always re- I respect every single one of you out there. I feel all of you out there can be great business people and have a great life. And if you can just get out of your own way and think outside the box, you can crush it. You can crush it. <laughs> you see what I mean about where he's just saying a bunch of phrases that absolutely oh, mean nothing? He said, yeah. in, this, in this little stretch that we just played, he said, I'm like the Everlast punching bag. You hit me and I keep coming back. And then he said, I, rule number one, never underestimate your opponent. I love this so much, Alex. I love it so much. I'm just, I'm gaining so much from it. And uh, maybe my favorite part about it is that we haven't even gotten to the passion part yet, right? Like, we don't, know, we don't even know what passion is. A-Rod has yet to address it, right? We're all about, we're all about equity and value right now, deriving that value. Um, but, uh, but when he touches on passion, I'm ready for my man to just go off. Me too. All right, let's see if he gets the passion here. Number one thing you want to do is find out what is your number one passion? What is your superpower? What are you good at? What do you love to do? It always starts with that. 
we'll worry about making money later. Once you identify that, then I would say double down, triple down on educating yourself on that field. You should be the world's best effort at whatever that is. For me, that was baseball. I studied baseball, I watched baseball. I, I bought four televisions when I couldn't even afford it to watch four games at the same time. So once you have that, then you can figure out a way to start monetizing it. But first, it starts with identifying your passion, your superpower, getting really smart on it. You know, knowledge is power. There's another one. And then we'll figure out. <laughs> There's another. Um, so this is in between all of the just like phrases that he's throwing around, all the colloquialisms. Uh, there is one thing that we learned, which is that A-Rod watched, A-Rod bought four TVs. <laughs> this is the news item. <laughs> So that he could watch four baseball games at once and take notes on all of them. And that I 100% believe. I absolutely yeah. believe that he's Me the too. type of dude who would do that sort oh, of thing. Oh, I believe all of this. Everything he's saying, I know that he truly believes in his heart. That's yeah, one I, of maybe the most impressive part of this. Like, that's how I know he's a real vlogger. Well, and here's the thing is that so does A-Rod's audience too. Because if you scroll down to the comments. Oh my God, I was going to get to this. <laughs> <laughs> It's just people being like, just graduated college, and I needed this. Like, thanks, A-Rod. Wow, this video really made me think about my life. Like, thanks, Alex. <laughs> I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna roast these people. I'm not gonna like put their names out there or whatever because you know we're all on that grind. We're hold on. We're my favorite, to- my favorite comment is Alex. I love your content. I love that you are all for the kids. I get teary eyed watching your videos. My son is a huge fan of yours, just graduated from GW and just got a job. I love that you teach these kids not to give up. You inspire them. You're a great role model. I think what I'm realizing here is that all fans are just watered down versions of Tim Tebow fans. This is all the same shit that we read in the captions of Tim Tebow videos and we see on signs when Tim Tebow goes to random minor league town. So maybe we should start making our our update at the end of every podcast instead of about Tim Tebow. We should make about Alex Rodriguez. I kind of, I mean, he's, he's certainly more doing more. Out, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, all right. Well, there's only, there's only a minute left of the video. So let's just power through. And the key to being a great business person, the key to being successful at anything is being laser focused. If you can't be laser focused on one thing, then you're usually not going to win. The difference between a champion and a non-champion is a champion understands what the goal is and he never takes his eye off the ball. You have to stay focused. Everybody wants to be rich overnight. It's not gonna happen. I'm sorry, that's the bad news. It's not gonna happen. This is a journey. It's putting one step in front of the other, putting one foot in front of the other. It's one brick at a time. And it takes time, and it takes hard work, and it takes dedication. The key is if you love it, and you're passionate about it, it's not going to feel like work. I wanted to play that last minute because I think it's the longest I've ever heard someone talk without actually saying anything at all. But Bobby, if you hadn't listened to that, you wouldn't know that you just need to put one foot in front of the other. And the no, rest no, no. is, I need the to rest is just going to come. In front of the other. Sorry, one step in front of the other. <laughs> <laughs> Knowledge is power. I think he was trying to say like one like he just got his uh ideas mixed up like he was gonna say one step at a time and then he tried to he tried to like switch it to be like one foot in front of the other he just got caught it is very much like a robot lands on wrong file in brain yeah 
see, he's not even following his own advice, right? Like he's got to go one step at a time. He's already, he's trying to jump ahead, but A-Rod, you just got to slow down. So what I want to know is A-Rod is waxing poetic about superpowers a lot in this. So yeah. like, what is he not telling us? Honestly, like, I don't know. He's bringing you, it up a little you, bit too I much. I don't know what you're implying with this. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm you, implying that, that he has a superpower. Oh, oh, I thought you were implying that he's the next Captain America in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm, I, I'm I mean, so that's, in on that. That is, again, that is the next step beyond this, beyond him having a superpower, right? I think one of my favorite things about the video is that he just has a drastic, under, he just drastically underestimates the fact that it's very hard to do anything if you have no money. Like yep. at multiple points in the video, he just says, we're not going to make money for a little while. It's not about money right now. Yeah, you're gonna mon- you're gonna monetize later. Don't worry. Just find your passion. If you think about it, we could apply everything he just said to this podcast. Yeah, yeah. We Alex have, we have grit. We have passion. <laughs> Alex Rodriguez, come on, tipping pitches. Alex Rodriguez, fund tipping pitches. There you go. It's time to monetize. Alex <laughs> Rodriguez, put one check in front of the other and send it over. <laughs> Help us find our passion. Well, we already found it. No, no, no. We're we're at stage. I don't know how many stages did he give. We're at stage four. I don't know. We identified, really our, <laughs> we identified our roles. We're the communicators. And what we found our, we have knowledge is power. We watch a lot of baseball. We found our superpower. It's our friendship, Alex. It and is now our we're at, friendship. <laughs> and now we're at stage four, which is Alex Rodriguez sending us money. The really conflicting thing about this is that he like says he has a bunch of like number one rules, you know, he's like <laughs> rule number one. Never underestimate your opponent. And then four seconds later, he's like, the number one thing you want to do is find (laughs) your passion. I'm like, A-Rod, which is it? You're asking me to put put both steps forward. (laughs) I'm just jumping. My my passion is never underestimating my opponent, A-Rod. What about that? So, yeah. (laughs) Uh, I like how vaguely baseball this is. Like, he's trying to to expand while not losing himself. So Mm -hmm. he's always like, He's always like, keep your eye on the ball. Yeah. One at bat at a time. And it's like shots of him in the Sunday night baseball booth that have nothing to do with what he's talking about. Okay. We're going to take one more quick break. When we come back, we're going to do our weekly segment, Three Up, Three Down. Now that we've found our passion, and our passion is this recurring segment, three up, three down. Let's put one foot in front of the other here. Why don't you let me know what three things are leaving your list this week for your three down? First off my list, Yasio Puig telling us about what he tastes when he licks his bat. Just because he's not been hitting the ball very well. So I assume that he's not licking anything that tastes particularly good right now. Um, he's, he's, he's licking a lot of outs, licking a lot of ground outs. Got him. Roasted. Um, <laughs> next off my list, the Fresno Grizzlies uh, roasting Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and calling her an enemy of freedom, uh, just because you know it's true at this point, right? Like we've internalized it. We know, we know she is. Antifa is a uh, is coming for you. Hide your kids. Hide your wife. Uh, oh my God! Fresno Grizzlies were right all along. What would Alex Rodriguez have to say about the Fresno Grizzlies? <laughs> They've identified um, their passion. <laughs> uh, last thing off my list, and 
I, w- I want to preface it is that it's, it's not because I'm, I'm not thinking about it, but it's because the MOB is effective in what it does with these sorts of things. Um, and that's, uh, Larry Bear, who we haven't talked about in, in a long in a time. Long time. Um, yeah. that was beginning of March, um, that the news about his physical art altercation with his wife, where he just dragged her down off a chair, um, when that broke. And I think I'm only taking it off the list because MLB is really good at, uh, swiping these things under the rugs. Now, uh, Bear is supposedly going to be back in, I think, about two weeks. So I'm sure we, we are going to have this conversation again for now. But, um, that, you know, there's always a, there's always a plethora of issues that Major League Baseball has to, has to deal with. And, uh, I don't know. There's a lot of shitty on field stuff that we can talk about in the meantime over these next two weeks, I'm sure. Fair. Okay. Uh, the three off my list. Last week I added the A's, or no, a couple weeks ago I added the A's pitching staff, uh, and how I was excited for it to go from one of the most understaffed pitching staffs to one of the most young and fun and exciting pitching staffs. And it's taking a little longer than I was hoping, or maybe I just got my hopes up a little too early. But uh, we're still waiting on Jesus Lazardo. We're still waiting on Gerald Cotton. We're obviously still waiting on AJ Puck, who's on a little bit longer of a timeline. So. I took that off my list, not because I'm not still excited, but just because nothing has come to fruition yet. Uh, number two. <laughs> I, I lo- <laughs> Real quick, I love how we preface all, all of the things we take off our list with basically just being like, we're kind of still thinking about we're sorry. this. Like, <laughs> like, we don't want to take it off the list. We promise. We're sorry. We're definitely not only thinking about nine things in the baseball world, Alex. It's a power ranking. It's so hard. <laughs> not every right, quarterback can be elite, okay? There's only 10 spots. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Dallas Keuchel's chin is the next thing off my list. That was a weird thing for me to add last week. I was, <laughs> I was in a place, you know. His chin yeah. is totally normal. I went on a rant about it last chin. week. Yeah. It's an extremely normal chin. Uh, third on my list, very similar to your sentiment about Larry Bear, is Addison Russell getting called up. Uh, there's just there's been bigger Cubs news in the last month, and that collective group forgetting about things is definitely going on here I feel like um, I just haven't read or seen a ton of things about Addison Russell and it sucks but it is just kind of like fading into the background of this long and arduous 162 game season okay let's uh, let's lighten it up a little bit why don't you tell me your first thing that you're adding onto the list Alex what are you thinking about this week more than you were at any point previous in this season all right. Actually, uh, before before I get into my three, I'm gonna I'm gonna say one thing that probably should be on there, but I wanted to uh, I wanted to mention it as like a sort of honorable mention because I know that we were uh, we were probably thinking about it both of us, uh, and that's David Ortiz, who yeah. uh, news broke that he was shot in a nightclub in the Dominican Republic last week, and I just wanted to. And mention him and shout him out like Drake did because uh, because my heart goes out to him and he is recovering. It sounds like he is going to be fine. He and uh, another victim, but you know, there's always a obviously you never like to see this sort of thing happen. But my my heart is with him and his family and uh, and hopefully Big Poppy is back to his uh his normal big teddy bear self soon enough. Agreed. That feels like it happened so long ago, and yet it was just like the beginning of this week, which just goes yeah. to show how quickly the cycles on these things move. Um, Absolutely. Shout out to Big Poppy. We know you'll be doing a variety television show before long. Yeah. 
extremely big facts. All right, three on my list this week. You took A's pitchers off your list. So correspondingly, I'm going to put them on because uh, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> because Jesus Lazardo and AJ Puck pitched this last week in the same game, no less, and they pitched extremely well. Luzardo was sitting in the mid-90s. Puck touched 99. They, they both picked up a few strikeouts and Puck let in a run and Luzardo didn't let anyone in. And, uh, yeah, dog. and it just got me super, super hyped to see them back in A's uniforms. And we're, we're going to see them like soon. I hope. I'm so excited. The A's are like, going to make the playoffs. Yeah. I, I know. Yes. <laughs> Um, they have to start winning more games right now because right now they've not been winning very many games and that's a big part of reaching the playoffs. But Jesus Lazardo and AJ Puck could very well help them do that. So they're in my headspace this week. I now have Lazardo in both of my fantasy leagues. So Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So that I don't have to keep close track of more players. I just get the same players in both leagues. <laughs> Smart thinking. All right, what's first on your list? Shohei Otani cycle, yeah. which means nothing. The cycle is basically a useless stat, but it's fun to say out loud. Shohei Otani, single, double, triple, home run. First Japanese-born player to ever do it, which is shocking to me because it seems like Ichiro could have done it on command if he really wanted to. But Otani did it. It just goes to show how how kind of unbelievably good he is, that he was a, a plus pitcher last year before hurting his elbow and having to get Tommy John surgery. and he was slugging really well last year, you know, has great power and uh, just comes back this year and is like an extremely competent above average major league hitter uh, less than a year from Tommy John as only one half of his game. Uh, I know, I know you and I, and it's well publicized love Shohei Otani. And so it felt like it, we absolutely had to talk about the fact that he uh, hit for the cycle and what a better place to do that than, the famous three up three down segment. Yeah. I loved watching it. I mean, even if the cycle is meaningless, so are most baseball things. And, uh, and it's still fun to watch a player who's very good at baseball do a lot of very good baseball things. And it was a stand up triple, no less. So like major, major hats off to him. Yeah. Otani's fun. Mike Trout's also fun. They play on the same team. Angels are fun. Y'all like Ty Kelly said, Pimping home runs doesn't matter. The planet is dying. Hitting for the cycle doesn't matter. The planet is dying. Except it matters here on tipping pitches. All right, let's move on. Bleak. Uh, the next person I want to talk about is Joey Gallo, who is on the DL right now. But before he was going on the DL, was straight up one of the best hitters in baseball. And I'm talking like legit one of the best players in baseball, like hitting 280. Um, probably was not going to do that the whole year. But he's a he's obviously a really interesting uh, interesting case. I think the the definition of a three two outcomes guy. So big fan here on tipping pitches. But he gave a really interesting interview this past week to David Lorela over at Fangraphs, and I just wanted to to read you a brief thing that he said because literally it was like it was like I was in a cartoon and my heart was pumping out of my chest as he was saying this. It's a big year for uh, former top prospects who were bad and are now very good in, <laughs> in uh, Joey Gallo and Lucas Giolito. But yes, what did he say? Uh, so Lorela said, what numbers on your stat sheet are the most meaningful to you? And this can always be a dangerous question to ask baseball players. And Gallo said, I like weighted runs created. Hell yeah. <laughs> I, like, I like OPS because it tells a story of slugging, which is damage, creating runs essentially, and getting on base. 
I've hit 200 before in the big leagues, but I had a 330 on base percentage. In my head, I was essentially hitting 330 because I was getting on base 33% of the time. I like those numbers. They tell a truer story of how valuable a player is than average does. I think batting average is getting pushed out of the game because it tells such a limited story. You can hit 300 and not be especially valuable if they're mostly singles. Not every hit is created equal. If I hit a home run, it has more value than if I hit a a single. Damn. Mike dropped Joey Gallo. Calls out Jose Altuve. (laughs) You heard it here first. Uh, I mean, on one hand, you can look at it like, of course, Joey Gallo wants to look at the advanced metrics that say that he's good versus the regular metrics that say that he's unplayable. Yeah. But on the other hand, breaking news, guy who hits 200 (laughs) thinks batting average doesn't mean anything. (laughs) On the other hand, you can look at it like Joey Gallo, come on to big bitches. Yeah. I mean, he's right. He's like, why am I going to hit a single when I could just hit a home run? Like, (laughs) where's the lie? In my, (laughs) in my research today, watching Alex Rodriguez videos, he has a he has a video where he exposes the truth about swing plane revolution. Everybody should go watch it. Uh, he basically just owns everyone with facts and logic. And the facts and logic that he owns everyone with is that in the playoffs, sometimes you got a runner on third and it's game seven and you got two outs. And your whole career, you've just been okay with striking out, but you can't be okay with striking out in this very high leverage moment. So do you want to be the guy who can bunt for a single or do you want to be Joey Gallo? And Alex Rodriguez wants you to be the guy who can bunt for a single. And all of this is so funny to me because Alex Rodriguez like is essentially just like one of the most generational talents of all time and never had to worry about either of these problems, but it's yep. fine. It's not like Alex Rodriguez was like Chuck Knobloch. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure Joey Gallo has a lot of, uh, of retorts and everyone should go read this interview because it's fascinating hearing him talk about like how he doesn't try to beat the shift and he's made these mechanical changes, but like, he's really just trying to hit and like, doesn't do anything differently. Anyway, Joey Gallo, come on tipping pitches. New biggest fan over here. Okay. My number two, Clay Thompson's been on my mind a lot. Shout out to Clay. We hope for a speedy recovery. I know he's your favorite person, not only favorite player, but favorite person. And I am personally okay with that fact that he is above me on the rank, the power ranking of human beings in your life because Clay is perfect. (laughs) But I've been thinking about Clay for a different reason also in this past week. And that's because of the quote that he gave to Ann Killian, who is a sports columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle. Clay on why people question KD. That's just the nature of the game. Whether KD, Muhammad Ali, LeBron, Michael, who's a baseball player, all are questioned. (laughs) So Clay listed off the most famous athletes probably in all in a lot of major sports and then got to baseball and couldn't think of a name for someone who was the most iconic baseball player ever. He just said, who is a baseball player? <laughs> you want to know my favorite part about this. You want to know who's a baseball player, Clay? I do know. Your <laughs> brother. <laughs> Trace Thompson. <laughs> uh, honestly... I don't blame him. I don't. He could have gone with anyone. He could have gone with his brother. He could. I mean, it would have been a real flex to go with his brother in the same breath as Muhammad Ali, LeBron, (laughs) and Michael Jordan. I understand why he didn't say his brother. Everyone was kind of owning him for not saying his brother, but I sort of get why he didn't say his brother. I think he should have just been like Jackie Robinson. He was questioned for sure. I 100% believe that Clay thinks 0% about baseball. I don't even, it doesn't surprise me one bit that he couldn't come up with a he baseball player the off the top the of the He threw out the first pitch of the A's game. <laughs> yes, I know. But like, do we think he could 
just know who Marcus Simeon is by looking at him? Probably not. Definitely not. Also, Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, those dudes, forgettable names. Yeah. Gotta be honest. Yeah, extremely forgettable. I mean, yeah. I choose to think that what happened here was he got he went Katie, Muhammad Ali, LeBron, Michael, and then like as he was starting to say Jordan and as he was starting to think about baseball as the next sport that he should probably mention because it's America's pastime and his brother plays it literally professionally, I think the edible kicked in. And he just said, who's a baseball player? All are questioned. <laughs> <laughs> Interview over. <laughs> Interview over. Clay Thompson, you're so right. Who is a baseball player? I'm a baseball player. We're all baseball players. If, if we have to all be baseball players for Clay, we'll all be baseball players for Clay. All right, Alex, what's your final thing that you're adding? Three up, three down this week. Last thing on my list. And as if we haven't talked about Pete Alonzo enough. Uh, oh my Pete, God. Pete Alonzo was... <laughs> Ever heard of him? <laughs> <laughs> he was interviewed by Kenny Mayne on SportsCenter this past week uh, following a Mets-Yankees game. And Kenny Mayne asked him, because Pete Alonso played for the, uh, famously played for the Las Vegas 51s, former AAA affiliate of the Mets. And so Maine asked Alonso, Hey, do you ever see anything weird down there? You know, just kind of like, just kind of ribbing him a little bit. You know, do you ever see anything weird yep. while playing for the Las Vegas 51s? And Pete Alonso was kind of weird about it. Can you, can you just play the <laughs> listeners this clip real quick? We can all agree that aliens are real. You played for the Las Vegas 51s. They're now known as the Aviators. Did you ever see anything weird out there in Las Vegas? Um, just, I mean, it's kind of like, you just get kind of get used to it, you know? I mean, you see weird stuff all the time driving in. Uh, so I lived outside uh, outside the city in the suburbs, but driving into uh, the to Fremont Street, that's kind of where the, uh, the the old ballpark was. And driving driving down there, you see something weird every day, and eventually, it just kind of uh, you just kind of put the blockers on, and it, you kind of get used to it after a while. So confirming, you have seen aliens, yep. and you will be in the home run derby. We got those. Out. So that was absolutely not a no that he's never seen no. aliens. Like that was a, he, I would argue that's a yes. <laughs> that's like he's like. <laughs> He gets asked if he's ever seen aliens, and his response is, yeah, I mean, we all see weird things out there. <laughs> it kind of, it, it honestly, the way that he, like, all of a sudden pivots and starts talking about, like, driving down Fremont Street or whatever, it's almost like there was, like, the dude behind the camera in the suit who all of a sudden, like, just, like, gives him a look and is like, stop it. Stop it, Pete. Don't go any further with this. And he's like, oh, uh, yeah, you know, it's the suburbs, and you're just driving in a car. And uh, you put, uh, you know, it's a, it's Fremont Street. Obviously, I drive to the ballpark all the time. Like, what are you talking about? It's a, uh, you know, and I'm like in word the- association. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, confirmed, Pete Alonzo has seen aliens. I mean, what actually probably happened here was that Pete was like, he just thought that Kenny Maine was talking about like people from Las Vegas are weird. Like, and Kenny Maine was talking about them as aliens. And Pete doesn't really have a concept of what Area 51 is because Pete is from Florida and nobody can ever see outside of Florida when you grow up in Florida. However, Let's just use this to confirm that, yes, Area 51, aliens are real. Pete Alonso used to pass by them every day while driving into the ballpark while playing for the Las Vegas 51s, and he just let the cat out of the bag. Absolutely. Pete Alonso, go work for the CIA, I guess. Help us, help us find those aliens. All right, Bobby, hit me with your last one. Last thing I'm adding to my three up, three down this week is Noah Syndergaard's Caper 9 and how it is going south while the rest of the league's Caper 9 is going north, and how that's extremely concerning and completely baffling to me. I've been thinking, how can this be happening? 
And I don't have a good answer, Alex. And I'm hoping that maybe you have a good answer because it's starting to stress me out. We saw him pitch last weekend and he had like five strikeouts in the first couple innings and then only had two strikeouts over the next five innings. And it's really weird because the way that I look at it, on one hand, you have a league-wide strikeout rate that's going through the roof. Guys are striking out more than ever. And Noah Syndergaard came into the league and it was widely accepted that he just had unbelievable put-out stuff because he throws 100 and had hard off-speed stuff that was really hard to hit. You know, there's the 94-mile-an-hour slider that everybody freaked out about when he when he unveiled it in 2017 or 2016 or whatever that was. And for the first couple of years of his career, his, strike, his K per 9 is up near between like 10 and 11 or so. Um, sometimes floating like a little bit under 10. And this year, last year it was... Uh, Last year, it came in at 9.04, and this year so far, coming in at 8.9. So right now, Noah Syndergaard is striking out less than a batter per inning and pitching probably worse than he's ever pitched in his career before. And I just it's very hard for me to square the idea that a pitcher with stuff that is as, as good as his, and I don't, I don't really even know what that means when I say it. I just kind of implicitly have that feeling that he has really good stuff. I don't get how he can just stop striking out people when people are striking out more than ever. And I think the thought that I've come to a conclusion about is it's such a lame, it's such a lame analysis when old timey baseball people say like guys just roll over and strike out easier than they ever have before. Because clearly that's not true because we have a case study in Noah Syndergaard. And if guys were really rolling over and striking out more than ever before, his K per nine would be going up. Even if he was getting hammered the rest of the time, the guys who are more prone to strike out would strike out just as much. Either it's very statistically improbable what's going on, or he has lost the feel for his off-speed stuff, or guys are much better hitters than they ever have been at any point in time, or it's a combination of all of those things. I don't really know. Can you explain it to me? I mean, I think it's a combination of all of those, and he's very likely not as bad as he's been so far this year, right? Like his strikeout rate is still basically the exact same that it was last year. His walk rate is the exact same that it was last year. All his peripherals. Yeah, but his walk rate was twice as what it was two years ago last year. So yes, he's getting somewhat worse. He's dealt with injuries, obviously as has, as, as has much of the Mets rotation. Uh, So, I don't quite know the answer. He's obviously not the same pitcher that he was three or four years ago, but he still throws 98 and the stuff is still there, right? So like that makes him have a significantly higher floor than, uh, than other, you know, if, if someone else was to lose their, uh, wipeout slider, he, he may never post a 2.5 ERA again. But if he settles for something in like the low threes, the mid threes or something like that, and still strikes out a batter per inning, that's fine. You'll take that, right? Like now he's, you know, he, he may not be that number one workhorse guy because he's got those, um, injury issues, but like, I don't know. I think, I think he's going to end up falling somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I'm sure. And it's very, it's hard for us Mets fans to accept that anyone is ever going to fall in the middle. Either they're going to be the best pitcher ever or the worst pitcher ever, as evidenced by Matt Harvey's entire career. But I don't know. If you watch the Mets broadcast and you listen to people try to analyze what's going on, or if you just listen to Noah himself, 
he sort of doesn't trust his slider because he can't figure out the grip on it or something like that. That's what I've been sort of led to believe is the solution to all of this. And I guess my final point on this is this is a long way of saying bring Worthen back. Bring Dan Worthen back. Bring back the Worthen slider that destroyed every arm that it ever touched but was perfect for a little while. That's where I'm coming down on this. I want Dan Worthen back. Give me my 95 mile an hour slider with horizontal and vertical movement, please. Hell yeah. You heard it here first, folks. Fuck a UCL. Ruling the way that I move And I breathe your air You only can rescue me Alright, that wraps it up for this week. Uh, we're back on a regular-ish schedule. Hopefully we can stick to it. Thank you to everyone who listened and stuck through our couple weeks off. Alex, do you have anything else to remind the people about? Do we have any fun projects coming up? Um, you know, I'm sure we have something that we're going to tease once in a while and then forget about doing. But uh, but please comb through A-Rod's YouTube channel and send us your favorite moments because I'm sure that there is more there to mine and I just couldn't uh, stand the thought of listening to him talk about grit and resilience for, you know, another 20 minutes. All right, that's all we got. PSA, go watch A-Rod's YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next week. Show me how deep